Good morning, family. Grace and joy to you. Beloved, when we come to our text on today, God's chosen man, John the Baptist, has appeared on the scene. And prior to John preaching in the wilderness, do you know there have been no prophetic voice heard in Israel for 400 years? From the last voice of the prophet Malachi to the voice of John the Baptist, no prophetic preaching had occurred on the planet. John was coming as a part of God's perfect timing. For everything, beloved, that God does concerning his son is always on schedule. John was a brand new voice, a voice with charisma, conviction, clarity, and challenge in every message. You think my preaching is hard. Boy, you should have heard John the Baptist. See, John the Baptist was called to preach when wicked men were on the throne. He was called to preach when wicked men were in government, when wicked men were running the temple, when wicked men like the Herods were running the local cities. And I believe God used him because God could use a preacher who could speak to the times and who the times could not intimidate. See, when God got ready back then to visit humanity and to speak to them, he used a voice and an office that they had never heard nor had ever experienced before. He used somebody that was not affiliated with their institutions or their cultural norms. When God got ready to speak, he sent the message to a man named John the Baptist a humble Jewish prophet. And there are three things we can learn from this text today about hard preaching in hard times. When God gets ready to speak in hard times, guess what, beloved? He uses hard sermons. Last time I checked, he didn't care about my feelings being hurt. Hard preaching, I believe, makes room for a brand new message a brand new ministry, a brand new method, and a brand new mission. And because tough messages make tough believers, today let's see how God spoke, and then let's apply his word to our lives, because how many of you know we're living in tough times? Four things we want to look at today. Let's look at John's message, John's ministry, John's method, and John's mission. In verse 7, we start here. Verse 1 through 7, or 6, gives us a picture of the wicked rulers that were ruling the earth at the time of John's calling. And then when you get to verse 7, you get to hear the message that he was called to preach to a generation that was anti-God. So when you look at verse 7, it opens up John's message. The Bible says, Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, listen to his word, you brood of vipers, who warned you 
to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. And therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Wow. RCC, when we arrive at this portion of the text, John is preaching to what I call a diverse and a hostile crowd. See, he has some people who've come to be baptized at the Jordan River and some who have not. And those who have come to be baptized have been drawn to hear the word, but those who have not have another motive for being present at John's ministry. Can I get an amen right there? We know that there are different crowds or different people in the crowds because of John's words. Listen to him again. He calls them, you brood of vipers. Here it is. We might say, you group of serpents. You community of snakes. In other words, they were a collaboration of deceivers that were all deceitful. They also were not there to be saved or to repent. So we asked them the question, who told you to flee from the wrath to come? Secondly, John did something amazing in this text. He checked their religion by their ancestry. He says, some of you think that you're children of Abraham. And he goes on to say, your status with Abraham doesn't mean nothing with God. God can raise up children to Abraham from these stones. I like that right there. That's my kind of preacher. I might be the only one in the room, but I like that. Thirdly, I see in verse 9, John describes himself in his preaching as a farmer who's chopping down a fruitless tree. John got to the root of things and he called the people to repentance. He said, there is a wrath that's coming. And the only way to prepare for judgment is to turn from your sins, repent, and trust the Savior. Now, that's not preaching you're going to catch on CNN. Come on, say amen right there. He said, he said, anything without good fruit is going to be burned. Can I get a witness right there? I'm off my script, but can I say this right here? I think what's wrong in the church today, beloved, this is my opinion. Don't charge this to the elders. We've got weak and anemic Christians in the pew. Nobody can't say anything to you because your feelings get hurt. But I'm so glad I don't work for you. And I'm so glad God doesn't work for me. See, he does not care if my feelings get hurt. I just said something right there. John's message is to challenge this crowd to get ready to receive the Messiah who was coming. And he's not in the business of preaching to make them happy. Okay, I'll move on. I'm getting those looks right there. I appreciate that. We've looked at John's message. Let's look now 
at John's ministry. The Bible says in verse 10, so the people asked John, what shall we do then? He answered and said to them, he who has two tunics, let him give one to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do the likewise. RCC, when you come to this portion of the text, we get to see where John's hard sermons cause convictions in the hearers. And after hearing his sermon, they've heard the challenge, they've heard the rebuke, now they've got a question for the preacher. Preacher, what shall we do then? His message is working. And here's what I learned. Hard sermons ought to make people ask hard questions. Hard sermons ought to give them a desire to do ministry in a new way. See, their question was a question about change. It was a question about direction. It was a question about service and doing something about what they heard. Secondly, John said, well, what you need to do is this. You need to become a giver. <laughs> become a person who sacrifices for others. Here he said, he said, don't just leave here thinking about yourself. Think about people who don't have what you have. Be become somebody who blesses someone else. Think about others is what he's saying and serve others. And here it is. He says, if you have two tunics, give one away. You can only wear one at a time. A tunic was that long one piece garment that covered the whole body, like a pullover hoodie. Come on, say amen, somebody. That went all the way to the ground, right? And if a modern-day Jew owned more than one tunic, they were probably middle class. And if they had two, that means they had more possessions. So John is challenging this culture. And I like this. Here's the application for you and I, RCC. This is the challenge of every Christian believer today, especially North American Christians. We always have more than one of anything. Now that you are in Christ, you have a challenge to give your possessions away and to follow Jesus. I know that's uncomfortable, but here I come again. If you have an extra something, bless somebody who doesn't have it. This is a basic principle in the kingdom. And God challenges us to not be possessed by our possessions, but rather to be good stewards of all that he has given to us. Story is told about a preacher named Leighton Farrell. True story. He was a minister in Highland Park in Dallas for many years. And he tells the story of a man who joined his church and was very poor. The man became a thriving businessman. And in the beginning of his relationship with the church, he made a covenant with the pastor. He says, Pastor, I promise that I'm going to tithe off of everything God gives me in the ministry. And things went well for about 10 years. He made his first $1,000 and he tied $100. He then made $10,000 and he tied 
his money to that. And after about six or seven years, he made his first million and he tithed off of that. Then the Lord really blessed him and he made six million dollars and he moved his membership. And when he got to the other church, Dr. Cho, he was so convicted, he called the old pastor up and he said, Pastor, I need a meeting with you. So he went to meet with the pastor and he said, Pastor, this tithing thing has to stop. He says, there's no way. It was okay to pass a tithe on my thousand and, and my first million, but I can't, I can't tithe off of six million dollars. I need you to get me out of this covenant. The pastor said, okay. And he got on his knees, Pastor John, and started to pray. And after about 10 minutes, the, the rich man looking at the pastor said, what are you doing? Are you asking God to get me out of the covenant? He said, no, I'm asking him to take your money back to $1,000 again. So you can learn how to give out of gratefulness. Did you catch it? See, here's the moral of the story right here. If God told you to do something, you don't get to get out of it, RCC. Don't be changing your mind because now you don't feel like doing what the Lord told you to do. God's word is God's word, and you don't get to pick and choose what you'll do and what you won't do. Can I tell you why? I'm not meaning to be hard, but can I be John the Baptist? I can tell you why. A little disobedience is still disobedience, and disobedience to God is still sin. We've looked at John's message. We've looked at John's ministry. Let me show you now John's methods. Before I go, why don't you look at your neighbor and ask him, are you all right? Are you all right? Okay. I knew this was going to be a hard message. All right. Hallelujah. There you go. Verse 12. Look at what the Bible says. Then the tax collectors also came to be baptized. And they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than what's appointed unto you. Now Luke does something very, very interesting when this, in this text. He begins to show you and I who is at the river that day hearing this sermon. He talked about the evil ruling class. He talked about the the general multitude, and now he gets specific. When you arrive at this portion, we see a notorious crowd of sinners in that picture. They're called tax collectors. John was a baptizer, and his method was to immerse people underwater for the remissions of sins. And these people who came to him on this day were a ruthless class of people. See, they worked for Caesar. They were Jewish by culture, but they made their money off of oppressing their own people. Caesar would set the tax code for the people, but the tax collectors would take more than they were supposed to, and they were okay with it, and Caesar was okay with it. And everybody knew the racket and the hustle that was happening with the tax collectors. However, in spite of their wicked behavior in their neighborhoods, they came out to hear the preacher. 
his preaching was convicting them. And his preaching was convicting them to turn from their sins, to repent, and to get baptized. Look at the text. The Bible says, they said, teacher, now that we repented, tell us what we should do. And listen to what John says to these repentant tax collectors. Collect no more than that's appointed to you. Here it is. Here's the Wilson's definition. Stop doing wrong to people on your jobs. Stop doing evil to get ahead in life. Stop hurting people to make yourself rich. Stop deliberately lying to people just to be a big shot in your community. Stop stepping on other people so you can walk tall. Let me give you this one. Stop using deceitful methods on your job that oppress the poor and, and mistreat them. I like this right here because his preaching challenged people to turn over a new leaf in life. Beloved, can I tell you that that's what preaching ought to do? You ought to leave here some Sundays mad at that tall, dark, and handsome preacher. You ought not speak to me on the way to the car. I don't even want to talk to you, Reverend. Because something the word of God said did not sit right with you. You don't want a friend. You want a pastor. Can I get an amen? You'll catch that one on the way home. What I like about this, in John's preaching, there was, there was never a call for you to stay the same. In his preaching, there was a clear challenge to be real with God and with others. If you came to get prepared to receive the Messiah down at the River Jordan, you couldn't stay the same way you were. You couldn't be dishonest about money and have a new life in Christ. You couldn't mistreat others and be all right with God. You couldn't oppress people and be a follower of the Messiah. You couldn't have the same old life you used to have and be a brand new creature too. And here's what I learned from John's ministry method, message and method. Repentance demands change. Following God demands a change. And baptism signifies that you've been changed. As believers, God calls you and I, beloved, to a new method for how we are to do life. A new method for how we treat others and how we engage in them. I found a great story. Can I give it to you? I think you need a good story right here. Okay. Two construction members brothers were working on a job. Pastor John and they sat down on the beam and got to open their lunch boxes. One of them looked in his box and he said, not baloney again. And his co-worker said, what's the problem? He said, I hate baloney. I've had baloney three times this week. Partner said, why don't you just ask your wife to give you something else? He said, I'm not married. I made this myself. <laughs> Did you catch it? See, the fact is that most of the baloney in our lives, we put there ourselves, beloved. 
And if we ever want life to be different from the same old baloney we keep serving ourselves, then we got to break out of doing the same old routine. I believe an amen goes right there. John is telling the tax collectors, look, you need to get a new routine for how you treat people. We've looked at John's message. We've looked at John's ministry. We've looked at John's method. I'm going to land the plane now, brothers, looking at John's mission. Verse 14, the Bible says, and likewise, the soldiers asked him. Now, this group is worse than the tax collectors, saying, Pastor, what should we do? So he said to them, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. Beloved, thank you for listening to me this morning. I'm on my way down when I open this last portion of the scripture for us. But when we continue in this final pericope of the text, this last notorious group of sinners at the Jordan River are the Roman soldiers. And these Roman soldiers were notorious for their brutality, their racist mentality, and their hatred of the Jewish culture. In fact, they literally took joy in oppressing the Jewish community, particularly the Galileans because they were very poor. But John's mission in this text is to preach to every sphere of society. His message is not is, is rather for everybody and anybody who's looking for a relationship with God. And I like that because of his preaching and the work of God in this crowd, these soldiers are experiencing conviction in their hearts. And they've come to repent and turn over a new life. They've come to be baptized. And so they ask the question, and now, John, what about us? What should we do? And I like what John says. He says, don't intimidate anybody. Don't falsely accuse anyone. And be content with your pay. Let me say it like this. Quit being bullies, causing people to live in fear. Quit being extortionists. Quit taking bribes from people or charging people to keep them safe. Quit arresting people on false charges because you got power over them. Quit using the law for your own pleasure and enjoyment. This is the Wilson version. And be honest in your job. You be law-abiding. I like this, and here's the application. I like it because the preacher tells the police, after you've been baptized, officer, your life has to change. You can't no longer act the way you used to act. You can't no longer treat people like second-class citizens. You have to treat people with dignity. You yourself have to be law-abiding. And finally, he said, and be content with your pay. What you make is what you take. Don't try to make money off of people illegally. illegally. Be content. Be satisfied. Be grateful. Wow, what a message. What a preacher. Hard sermons for hard times. Well, as I close, John's sermons were hard 
because the world was evil and corrupt. And God had to raise up a voice that would prepare them to receive his son. And don't you know when the son of God came, he would change the world as you and I know it. When the son of God came, salvation would come. When the son of God came, reconciliation back to God the Father would come. When the son of God came, the answer for all of men's sins would come. John was a voice, but Jesus was the answer. John came to point the way, but Jesus came as the way. And as the way, Jesus preached some hard sermons too. We're going to get to some of those in this book of Luke. Jesus preached harder sermons than John did on the kingdom of God, about money, about social justice, about how we treat females in our culture, how we treat the least of them. One of the hardest preachers in the canon of scripture is Jesus the Christ. You can't read his words lightly and not know he was sent from God. But can I tell you, hard sermons always cost the preacher something. Jesus' preaching cost him something. But I'm glad he said, listen, I know I'm going to die, but no man's going to take my life. I'm going to lay it down. And if I lay it down, I'll take it up again. And don't you know, it was the sermons that caused him to be stretched high and dropped low on Calvary's heels. It was the sermons that gave them joy to drive nails in his hands a crown of thorns on his head, a spear in his side, and nails in his feet. It was those sermons. They were happy and gleeful about him dying on that old rugged cross, even as an innocent man. He died, and preaching had a lot to do with it. He gave up his life for you and I that we might be saved. And in those same sermons, you could hear him ringing from the cross, The sermon on forgiveness. Forgive Angelus, Lord, because he knows not what he does. What a sermon. He died with sermons on his heart, preaching for you and I. Took his body down and put him in a borrowed tomb. And early Sunday morning, just like he preached, he rose back to life. With all, and amen goes right there, with all power of heaven and earth in his hand. And I'm glad today he commissioned us to go into all the world and to preach that same gospel. Why? Because preaching matters in hard times. We need preaching today that will call people from a lifestyle of sin and rebellion against God back into a personal, intimate, loving relationship with God. That's preaching that matters. That's preaching that will change the fallen world. And I'm glad he preached what he did. Because one day when I was in sin, I heard that gospel message calling me to repent, calling me an enemy of God, letting me know that I needed to be born again. And those same sermons changed my life. Well, thank you for listening. I'm going to close today with this final story. I like the true story. It was a pastor who was serving a church for several years and finally thought to himself, it's time for me to leave. I think I've taking this church farther as I can take it. Announced his resignation to the church and 
a little old lady in the church came up to him weeping and crying because the pastor thought it was about his decision. So he said to her, Mother, I'm sorry. It's going to be okay. Don't worry about that. God's going to send you a better pastor. She kept crying and she said, that's what the last three pastors have said. But y'all just keep getting worse. <laughs> okay, y'all didn't get that up. He thought she was crying because he was leaving. She was crying because this is another bad preacher. Are you with me? Why did I say that? You need to pray for your preacher. And you need to pray for his messages. Why? Sermons matter. Preaching matters. And faith in God matters. Let's give God some praise. Amen. Will you stand with us as we prepare to worship in this hymn? Father God, thank you so much for this moment of reflection. Thank you so much for an opportunity to hear John's message, to see his ministry, to see his methods, and to understand his mission. God, my prayer in this message today for RCC is that you would make us like John. Make us unafraid to talk to this culture. Make us unapologetic about what we believe in the Christ and why we believe it. Make our ministries ministries that matter. May our mission pull us into a God-likeness so that God will have a no-fear mentality when it comes to be your sons and daughters sharing a good news in a fallen world. We see the state of our world. We see its brokenness. And we see men and women, boys and girls, teetering over the mouth of a burning hell. And yet we want to give them a comfortable message that won't call them from a life of rebellion against God. God, have mercy on your church. Revive us and renew us. Set a fire in us that will help us to be just like John, preparing a way for the coming Messiah. Forgive us. Forgive us. Forgive us for what we have not had that tenacity. Revive us. Hear our prayer as we worship.